Well, hello. Welcome to the Santa Cruz Baptist Podcast. I'm Drew Cunningham. And I'm Tyler Hurst. And we are back here discussing Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Uh, This weekend, Tyler preached this text, a sermon titled, A Sigh, A Secret, and Some Thoughts on Evangelism. And so, uh, Tyler, why don't you give us just uh, a brief overview of the text and then uh, what you hoped the people walked away from uh, from this sermon on Sunday. Yeah, of course. I um, I made the slight joke that I don't know how the, it broke down, but I feel like I got all the weird passages in Mark to teach. Uh, and this one, this one might top the list. Uh, what happens is Jesus heals a man who is uh, deaf and mute. And for some reason, the particular way in which he heals him is articulated, and it's, we're told that Jesus put his fingers in his ears and then touched his tongue and then spit on the ground and spoke in Aramaic, uh, commanding his ears and mouth to be opened, and then the man is, uh, he's able to hear, he's able to speak, and the friends that brought the deaf and mute man to Jesus then start to share about Jesus, and Jesus tries to get them to stop telling people about him, uh, but every time he he tells them to stop, they just share it more zealously. Right. So it's kind of a strange passage in that mm-hmm. other times we see Jesus healing people with just a word from his mouth. Right. right? Or so, there's a general comment that says, you know, he touched him, but it doesn't get into specifics. And this one, Mark felt it necessary to explain exactly what Jesus did. Right. So there's, there's two touches. He puts his fingers in his ears and then spits and touches his tongue, which mm-hmm. kind of gross, yeah. but that's what the text tells us. <laughs> so um, what uh, out of that... What what do you hope people walked away with on Sunday from this strange text? Yeah, I spend most of the time talking about this sigh in verse 34. It says, in looking up to heaven, he, speaking of Jesus, sighed. Uh, and then Jesus heals him with the words. Um, and that sigh carried throughout scripture. Uh, if you look at all the other instances in which that word comes up, it's specifically related to when ministry is happening and ministry that is combating the effects of the fall. So it comes up notably uh, three times in Romans 8 and twice in Second Corinthians 5. And so the primary thing I was trying to take away from is what we see here is Jesus interacting in a Gentile region, and he's bringing the power of the kingdom of God to push back sin uh, and to reset the world as he, the Lagos, the creative force of God, always intended the world to be. That's good. So, uh, you know, you, you talked about a sigh, um, a secret, and then some thoughts on evangelism. Uh, that second point, a secret. Uh, it's another strange thing in the text there that um, Jesus heals this guy and then tells everyone, hey, don't go tell anyone. Yeah. Keep this a secret. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why Why would he do that? And you you kind of contrasted that with Legion um, in, in a past chapter of Mark mm-hmm. where Jesus heals him and then tells him to go tell everyone. Why, what's the difference here? Yeah, so it might be helpful to first say that in Mark, there's this reoccurring theme of the messianic secret, that Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah and then tells people, like, hey, don't tell anybody. Now, I think there's two different ways that secret plays out. The first way has to do with timing. So Jesus is really concerned to make sure uh, the fervor and the fame around him doesn't hit its apex and people start, you know, rushing Roman centurions to, you know, start a revolt or a rebellion uh, prior to uh, Jesus's 
um, ascension to his cross as his uh, first throne. So there's this time element there, but then there's also an aspect of the messianic secret that I think comes up in this text that's not related to time. It's not that it's not Jesus's time to be revealed as the Messiah. It's more that the people who are sharing about him have no, uh, or not necessarily no, but they do not have a clear idea of who he is. And so them sharing about him is just going to end up confusing a lot of people and maybe even leading some astray in a similar way to, to how we might criticize, say, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses who talk a lot about Jesus. But the way in which they're going to describe Jesus is substantially different than how an evangelical Christian is going to understand the biblical teaching of who Jesus is. Right. So the, the principle at play there would be um, he's holding them back from sharing about him because they didn't completely understand him. And... Uh, they weren't able to to make him clear. So yeah, and and I would want to be careful with the word completely because I don't know that any of us completely get the Son of God and who sure. He is and what's going on. But yeah, they didn't see enough of who Jesus was uh, to be able to share him accurately enough. Right. So you mm-hmm. you brought up that Peter was an example of that that he yeah. didn't completely understand who Jesus was mm-hmm. um, until later in right. life. But uh, I, I think the the principle at play there is that he's, he's holding them back from evangelism um, because they, they weren't able to make him clear. Right. And so and in that's... contrast with Mark 5, Legion, or the man who had had Legion in him, uh, as I mentioned in the sermon, there's all these events that are laid out in a very brief paragraph in Mark 5. And those events could have taken up to a week to entirely take place. And so what you have there is rather than a group of people who have this singular, very punctiliar, temporal interaction with Jesus that's probably pretty quick and then start sharing about him. You have Legion who may be with him for multiple hours, even up to a day or a week, uh, learning from Jesus before Jesus goes back across the sea. Yeah. So I guess it brings me to the question, what, what are some examples today? If, if we're saying that evangelism is being able to preach or teach Jesus clearly, mm-hmm. Um, if that's a core facet of evangelism, what are some things in our culture that maybe are called evangelism, but don't meet that standard that Jesus might say, Mm -hmm. hold back on doing what you're doing type of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, a few of them is, I mean, what's taking place in this text where we can just get Jesus wrong. Uh, I think of this in terms of, um, you know, you have a lot of people share about Jesus and Jesus is somebody who, you know, is a, is a baby at Christmas time and does something that, that betters people's lives. And so it's like, you know, my life was a mess prior to Jesus and then I became a Christian. Now my life is better. Well, that, that message doesn't actually connect into the, the meat of who Jesus is like, okay, what does it mean to become a Christian? Does it, does it mean like you just started going to church or does it mean you now understand Jesus as the incarnate son of God and you've submitted your life to him, he's now your king, uh, and ultimately what you want will be subservient and subjected to uh, the what Paul will say is a life worthy of the gospel, mm-hmm. that, that there's the good news of who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, the Messiah. Uh, there's the good news related to that is good news of what Jesus did for us, which is he bore our sins on the cross and resurrected uh, you can even add in uh, the front end of that is that he lived a perfect life so that we could, upon his resurrection, have both our sins paid for and receive the account of righteousness that he has. And so now, in gratitude 
joyous gratitude for that, we live a worthy life. So is that what it means to be a Christian or is it simply like, uh, yeah, I go, I go to church now Mm -hmm. um, and I I try not to do stupid or sinful things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think of this, there's a DL Moody quote that I just pulled up and he says this, he says, uh, so there's this guy that's critiquing his way of evangelism. Oh, yeah, and uh, he says, it is clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism, but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so I want to be clear, like, um, we're, we're not intending to, to critique any you know, correct method of evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are ways that we think are, are better than others, Um, but I I agree with Moody, like any mode of evangelism that you're doing, that's actually sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, we are are very for that and, and want to encourage, uh, you know, any sharing of the gospel. Um, but there are better and worse ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. And so while Jesus is kind of blocking them from, from going out and sharing, or he tried, tried to block them from going out and sharing, um, is primarily because the they they didn't understand the core of the gospel yet, right? So that's right. that's what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, and specifically at that point, um, you know, we don't see any reference to the kingdom of God in this passage, which is how Jesus introduces the gospel uh, in Mark one fifteen. He says, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, and you know, the implication is in it is at hand. It has come near. It is before you, in him in the mm-hmm. person of God's chosen king, the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, yeah, and so we, we don't see any of that. We don't see a desire to follow him, to be his disciple, to live the worthy life. Um, right, you brought that yeah. up, that uh, a contrast between uh, mm-hmm. this, this group in Mark 7 and Legion in Mark 5 is that Legion actually obeyed yeah, yeah. Jesus' command. Um, Jesus said you can't get in the boat with me, go mm-hmm. and tell your friends. And he obeyed. He didn't try to go with them. He went right. and told his friends here. He tells them, don't tell anyone. They immediately turn and tell everyone. And so there, there's and this the lack text, of obedience. There. Yeah. And the text actually says uh, that he charged them. Uh, the more he charged them, the more zealously they mm-hmm. proclaimed it. So he says, Hey, be quiet. And they start talking. Then he goes, no, 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 really be quiet. And they get more zealous in their disobedience of him. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I bring that up because I think that is a key component of evangelism Mm -hmm. is living a life of obedience to Christ along with what you're proclaiming. Right. Um, I mean, we commonly knock on, you know, the the quote that's, that's, you know, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. Mm-hmm. First, he, he probably didn't say that. Second, like, that's that's just not true. Romans 10, yeah. you know, we must preach the gospel with words. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's not just that. It's preaching words and being obedient to Christ. Right. And so I think both of those are really important. They, they go together in evangelism, living a life that's worthy of the gospel, a life that adorns the gospel, but also speaking it. Right. And... and Proclaiming it. I think it might be helpful to point out why that, well, at least the major problem with the quote from Francis of Assisi, uh, as it's probably wrongly attributed to him, I feel bad for uh, slamming it a little bit. But um, one of the problems with that quote is that it assumes actions have an intrinsic and easily understandable Mm -hmm. meaning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, like, 
for example, you could see me do something and it assumes you have the sort of access to my mental life where you can understand exactly why Tyler is doing that thing. Uh, and then you might, uh, you might engage me more in terms of a conversation or something like that, or think more highly of my life or my manner of life because of that. Uh, but that's just false. And I think we all know that. I mean, I know a lot of Christians older than me who are more godly than me, who are better fathers and husbands than me. And none of them have the story that, you know, one of their friends just one day came to them and was like, hey, you're a really great dad. You're a really great husband. (laughs) Tell me about Jesus. Like, that's just not... You know, I mean, and I know that's a little bit hyperbolic, but that's not something that commonly happens. It's more about the the concept of, you know, people think like, oh, well, that's just your way of doing it versus my way of doing it. And what we need, the reason why words are important is words are how we convey meaning. Uh, even if you were to interpret that quote as uh, friendly as possible, you could say like maybe Francis of Assisi meant sign language. He's not using actual words, but actually when you get down to it, that's still trying to convey meaning through what we would do is understanding certain words. Um, and so it's, you know, in order to in order to explain the gospel, in order to lead somebody to Christ, you have to give them some semblance of meaning, which means you're going to have to use words. Yeah, so in your, your final section on evangelism, mm-hmm. um, you said that, that there's three things, or at least three things that kind of are involved in evangelism. The first mm-hmm. thing that you brought up was hearing that just like the guy in the text, we have to have our ears healed so right. that we can understand who Jesus is, so that we can hear the gospel correctly mm-hmm. and our hearts can be changed. That is a work of the Spirit in yep. our lives. Um, then you talked about listening, um, obeying, listening on multiple levels, um, and then proclaiming or telling your friends, bringing the gospel into daily discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so two different points you brought up is that, you know, whenever we think about preaching the gospel, um, a lot of times people think of pastors and what they do on Sunday behind a pulpit. But mm-hmm. you you brought up like, no, that that this is for regular people. Acts right. 8, 1. And I don't, rem- I don't remember the other passage. Mark 145. Mark 145. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that's, that's for everyone. Every Christian um, mm-hmm. can and should be preaching the gospel regularly to their yeah. friends and family, coworkers. How, like, how do we do that? Mm -hmm. What are some recommendations that you would give for evangelism? Yeah, uh, this might be a good place to throw in some resources, too. Um, A a book I have found super helpful in thinking about this, but um, I know we recommend a lot of books, so we'll link to a few podcasts from the the book's author, Sam Chan, but the book is titled Evangelism in a Skeptical Age, Um, and what one of the things he gets at, which is just I think so helpful in the evangelism I've done is bringing non-Christians into a place where they encounter Christians who might be similar to them, might see the world similarly to them in some way, shape, or form. Uh, And it really dispels a lot of myths people have about Christians either being odd or um, dumb, anti-science, you know, anti-women, all sorts of... There are all these myths about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. And um, even if people don't 
say they believe those explicitly, often those kind of things can seep in. And so just putting people around Christians, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think in terms of what we did here at Santa Cruz Baptist in terms of supporting the fire victims, we've had a number of people who have continued to engage our community on the basis of what we did. And, you know, they're not necessarily young people, but it was the first time they were around Christians rather than just simply hearing about Christians mm-hmm. or hearing about churches. The first time they were around Christians and they witnessed the generosity of the congregation, which has been built here at Santa Cruz Baptist. They witnessed uh, the generosity of Christians in the Santa Cruz area. And all of a sudden they had this flip switch where they thought like, oh, Christians aren't what I thought they were beforehand. And it made them more uh, accepting or at least more willing to hear what we believe, which is what guides us to do the sorts of things we do. So it's it's the concept of adding as much salt and light around a person as yeah. possible. Yeah. yeah. Love that. And just inviting them into um, opportunities for community, having, you know, inviting non-Christians over for dinner when you're having your Christian friends over for dinner. Mm-hmm. It actually, it makes me think of a, an old Jim Gaffigan quote where uh, he talks about how people have these friend groups, but they keep all their friend groups separate. And so when they all get together, there's sometimes like an awkward conversation and you go, yeah, don't be thrown off if I speak in a British accent to these people. And it's <laughs> like, wait, you have such a different personality when you're with that other friend group that they think you speak in a different accent. And one of the ways we can think of that is flip that joke on its head and go, okay, well, what if we brought our friend groups together to show them like, hey, I'm the same guy when I'm with you, my non-Christian friends, as I am when I'm with my Christian church friends. And we're not crazy or unusual or weird, um, but we have this belief about the reality of the world and it guides us to how we live our daily lives, which actually isn't all that different from you. Right. Um, One of my favorite books on evangelism, just to your point, is A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. And so he kind of fleshes Mm -hmm. out that concept that each of us have 21 meals, theoretically, Mm -hmm. uh, in a week. And what if we used a handful of those meals for evangelism Mm -hmm. um, or discipleship. So that's uh, a meal with Jesus is kind of a walk through the book of Luke, and Mm -hmm. it's looking at everywhere that Jesus eats meals in the book of Luke, which is all over the place. Right. Um, And those are the two things that he's doing every single time he's eating. Mm -hmm. Um, He's either doing discipleship, teaching his disciples about who he is, teaching them about the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. or he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, and he's Mm -hmm. doing evangelism. Yeah. And so... I think that concept of like, do what you already do, you know, having a Christmas party or a meal or whatever, Mm -hmm. and inviting not yet believers into that and surrounding them with salt and light. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think as well, just since you mentioned that book, it got me thinking about meals and it's hard to think about meals without thinking of Rosaria Butterfield's work. Mm -hmm. Uh, The gospel comes with a house key. And in that book, one of the things she points out is so often people do invite their non-Christian friends over, but they change all the Christian things they do during dinner. Uh, So they might come over for a meal, but then the family doesn't pray. And she kind of just calls us to be more courageous and say, hey, you know, don't be worried or feel weird about praying in front of your non-Christian friends, like do that kind of a thing. And that's actually what will open the door for these evangelistic conversations. Like it makes sense that we wouldn't be very good at evangelism if every time we're engaging with non-Christians, we're pretending not to be Christians. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it'd be super weird if I was going to a Jewish friend's house on the Sabbath Mm -hmm. and they didn't celebrate the Sabbath. Right. Um, You know, out of, of, deference for me being there, I would, I would think that's weird. Yeah. Why didn't they do that? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So a, a couple of other, other resources, 
um, that I've found helpful on evangelism. And we'll link all of these in the show notes. But uh, there's a book called Questioning Evangelism by Randy Newman. And um, if if you're a reader, good book. Um, but there's an, an even better way. There's a Gospel Coalition um, podcast where he just outlines the content of that book in about 30 minutes. And so we'll link to that in the show notes. And it, it's really him looking at how Jesus used questions um, to get to spiritual topics and to get to the gospel with people throughout uh, his time here on earth. Uh, another book uh, that I found super helpful and, and short is a book by Rico Tice called Honest Evangelism, How to Talk About Jesus Even When It's Tough. Uh, he just gets to kind of the, the core of, of what it looks like to share the gospel and kind of answers some questions about why some of us don't share the gospel. And I, I found that really helpful. Mm-hmm. Any other resources you have? I mean, I I think we can we can recommend a lot of podcasts, a lot of books, but uh, nothing's going to be uh, a supplement for just being courageous. Mm-hmm. I think of all the things we do in the world uh, on a regular basis that require you to like kind of step out on a limb, and how for some reason evangelism or even like praying for uh, a friend might become something that that seems. Uh, much bigger than a lot of the other things we do. Like, for example, uh, when my wife uh, was in college and when I was in seminary, uh, she had a ton of friends who were constantly inviting all their friends over for one of those uh, um, uh, multi-level marketing programs where they're selling various things. And that seems to me to be like, a pretty big ask. Like, I think I would feel uncomfortable asking my friends to come over and potentially spend money on a product, which I'm, you know, paid to, um, to sell to people. Uh, that actually seems harder to me than talking about the most fundamental thing about my life, which is Mm -hmm. that I seek to follow Jesus in my life. I seek to be a husband who is guided by the scriptures. I seek to be a father who's raising my kids in the faith and a father that, that reflects the character of God. Um, you know, Christianity is so fundamental to my life yet. I think for so many of us inviting our friends over for something like that, or trying to get them to invest in like a business or doing all sorts of things like that, uh, could be just as hard with actually less payoff Mm -hmm. than sharing the most fundamental thing about ourselves, which is our faith in Jesus. Totally. Yeah, so you know we've we've mentioned a, a couple of resources that even come at different directions from evangelism. So we just want to reiterate the the Moody quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, sometimes I do not like mm-hmm. my way of doing evangelism, but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. And so I, I think at the end of the day, what we're trying to get at here is that there's lots of different tools that are helpful for evangelism. Um, And we should probably have a bunch of different tools in our tool Mm -hmm. belt, um, but make sure we're using at least one of them. Yeah, and if you want to feel goofy doing evangelism, try doing evangelism using the EvangiCube, (laughs) which is an actual thing that I've had to do on a missions trip before. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, with that, we we are coming to the end of our time, and so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, But we do want to put out there, for any of you in the Santa Cruz area... Um, this Friday and Saturday, so December 4th and 5th of the year 2020, um, mm-hmm. we are going to be giving away 500 Christmas trees um, here at the church. So if you're in the area, um, if you would like a free Christmas tree, come and get one. We'd love to meet you. Um, or if you want to come and serve and just kind of put some of these evangelistic tools into practice, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a, a fun two days. 
Um, so December 4th from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and then December 5th, which is a Saturday, from 10 a.m. to 3 o'clock p.m. And so you're all invited. We'd love to see you. And with that, um, we are signing off. We will see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you.